Hello and welcome to our new heritage project. My name is Ketty Rembonga and I am the founder, lead formulator and creative director of Lateral Theory, or BJT for short. Our new heritage is a social movement rooted in healing, a care space for remembrance, to unfold our complex trauma and an avenue for us to shine the spotlight on politicized healing, healing justice, community care, and collective trauma. My wish is that over the next few weeks, the discussions that take place will be the beginning of the recovery of indigenous forms of healing and the creation of altars for remembrance, dismantling, creating, and connecting. Our new heritage is a love letter to black, brown, queer, trans, LGBTQ+, disabled, neurodivergent, and indigenous people. Thank you for joining me and welcome joy, welcome wellness, welcome home. Um, I'm so glad to have you here, our very first episode of the Our New Heritage Project. With me, I have Goko Maslodi, a writer, Sangoma, and uh, what did you say, currently so living through capitalism or surviving through capitalism? Sangoma, surviving capitalism. That's really... Surviving capitalism, that's very apt. That's... And I remember like asking you for like a blurb of who you are and what you do. And I think that's very, very, very apt. Um, I think before we start to get into the heavy things, um, if we could start by just introducing yourself and your journey and how you got there here. Okay. Um, my name is which is my birth name. Um, but my vocation and occupation has taken me to a space where I have another name now, and uh, that's Goko Mahlodi. Mm -hmm. In Rosini, I'm known as Goko Mahlodi. Um, I'm a writer, like I mentioned, and Isangoma. And yeah, I've been practicing for the past three years um, in Johannesburg. I was initiated in Bumalanga in 2019. And yeah, I have pretty much mm -hmm. kind of like reintegrate and bring together Uvuiswa and Koko Mashodi in my practice, in my day-to-day -day life, in my work as a writer as well. Um, and yeah, I think more than anything, my concern has always been around archive, memory, and yeah, over the past three years, really like healing is something that's taken kind of like center stage, you know, so that's been my concern of considering what healing looks like in this new mm. world, but informed by maybe indigenous practices. Um, yeah. Well, mm. oh, that's very interesting. Um, I want to know where your preoccupation came around um, archiving and, um, you know, around memory. Has that always been something that you've been interested in? Or yeah. did it start when you started your spiritual journey? You know, like, now when I look back, I can see how all of the things that, like, I was interested in and I was trying to be about before mm -hmm. I initiated 
was setting me up and leading me on this path that I eventually went down, which is to become a healer. Um, and I don't say that as in like it was a choice that I made, but like when I finally got to the place where I could understand and own up to my gift, um, it was no surprise mm -hmm. the circles that I was in, the kind of things that I was doing. My concern has always been musical heritage. Um, and that started mm -hmm. off with like um, just jazz. You know, I had like this mm -hmm. unexplainable passion for South African jazz, particularly. And as I was engaging the jazz, um, you know, so much history um, regarding our country, mm -hmm. regarding our heritage as people mm -hmm. um, started to come mm -hmm. up. And then that, you know, led me down that path of like insisting on archival, you know, and my, mm -hmm. as a writer, what I'd always wanted to do was just to record, just to to create the archives so that for future generations, mm -hmm. say there was these illustrators, these photographers, these musicians. Um, and that had always been my concern because when I was engaging the jazz music, it was so hard to find information mm -hmm. about anything. And I, I think even outside of jazz, when we think about black creatives, you know, there's like very few people that we can say, oh, okay, there was this person and there was that person. We know the six, five, maybe 15, you know, mm -hmm. like always those people. Mm -hmm. But we can understand that the, the archive is actually so much bigger, but because there was no actual archive, we can't yes. engage that, you know? So my work was very like obsessed and concerned with just making an archive, just making a recording hopefully for future generations, but also for us, you know, and what Archive also does is that mm -hmm. it helps us see where we come from and where we are now, you know? And yeah, yes, some of the people that um, I had been interviewing and profiling like five years ago, they've grown so much. And now we're literally living in a completely new world of like COVID, you know? So that Archive That's is amazing. like from another yes. world, basically, you know? Um, Absolutely. So that's where I started engaging with memory. And then when it got personal, then I started to think about what the archive of my bloodline is and what the, the, the names and the history of my people are. And yeah, I might as well. I just want to cut in there just a second because I think that's a really great segue for me to start, um, to, for, for me to ask my next question. And then you can expand further yeah. on your bloodline and your heritage. Um, I'd like to know how you honor the lineage and the healing work of those that have come before you, whether they're in their, your bloodline or um, the work of other healers mm. um, that have inspired you. How do you honor them in your day-to-day -day work? Yeah, I think it's like important to realize that, that you are along a bloodline, you know? When you can mm. realize that you are not the beginning and the end of an experience or of a practice or of a moment, even, you know, when you can just be like, okay, I'm the in-between because there are people and things that have come before me and there will be people and things that mm. will come after me. And what is my work? Mm. So in, in trying to honor those that come before me, I need to figure out what is my work. And I know that the work that those before me have done Firstly, allows me the privilege of that, of having the label of other people bringing me to a place where practices or information is already established, right? So because of the guidance mm -hmm. of those who come before me, I can practice a particular mm -hmm. way as Isangoma or whatever. I don't have to figure out 
how to do one, two, three. Mm. There have been generations of people that have been doing it and refining it, you know, for so long that we get to the point where literally it's a gift to us, you know. But then yes. you think about what that means for the next generation, then it's important in honor of those who come before us to preserve, you know. Mm. Exactly. To preserve things, to um, consider that, to consider that the, 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 there is work that has been done, you know. I think not just in the in the profession of Ungoma, but people especially like in the modern day, whatever, you know, people think that yes. the first person or everything is an innovation. And it's like, actually, we are standing on the shoulders and of the labor of thousands of people, literally of others, thousands of people yes. to get us to this point, you know? Um, yes. So, yeah, I guess I don't want to say like paying tribute, but realizing the work and honoring that work mm. and upholding the integrity mm. of that work, you know. Um, um, yes, integrity is a big one. Yeah. Integrity is a very, yeah. very big one. Yep. Yeah. And especially in healing circles, you know, because there are yes. many people who are gifted, there are many people who are um, as knowledgeable, you know, but they lack integrity, mm. you know. And and that for me is a dishonor to the legacy and the work of the people that come to us. Mm. You know, um, mm. all of this is not just for like tools, but it's for actual work, actual healing work. And mm. the thing that I I love ma- mainly about in the healing fraternity is that a lot of this is oral. A lot of this is in terms of how the information and the knowledge is passed. Um, Yes. It's, it's oral, but it also requires like practice, so like apprenticeship. So you actually have to yes. watch somebody do it, and then that's how you learn. Or there's always a suggestion that's how you learn. an elder mm. or a guide. You know, it's very rare yes. to just come into knowledge or a practice yes. without having observed somebody or without having been told. You know. Um, which so I, how do we how do we start to define like who's an expert? in the field what are the current ways we're defining who's an expert and what are the can you give me like a critique on how you feel about it and Uh, maybe how it needs to shift it's very it's complex you know and i have this conversation with my cabela a lot you know about Mm. um, particularly when we're talking about the the ngoma circle or the circle of the sector of healers, indigenous healers, particularly mm-hmm. when we talk about maybe having like a body, a regulatory board, board or body that like, you know, because yeah, it's, there's lots of things, but how do you regulate, you know, something that is ancestral, you know, um, mm-hmm. also because exactly. the journey is not the same for everybody, you know, so just because Mina, it was for six months, and somebody else who trusted for two years, like then how do we, you know what mm. I mean? So I don't know that how do we measure the the Western framework, for lack of a better like phrase, um, is able to to contain the magnitude of what it means to evaluate healers in South Africa. But yeah. I think institutions, so in Bande, where healers are initiated, they have a responsibility mm. to regulate and to uphold. You know, I don't mm. know that on a government level, um, you know, that we can 
do something like that, but each kind of like institution or school of Ubungoma or whatever has a responsibility of upholding its members. So people that you know yes. were initiated in this Mbande to say that as a rule of this Mbande, these are the things that are non-negotiable, that are not allowed. I do think there are some universal things, mm-hmm. you know, that we all understand, which again goes back to the integrity. So these are unspoken rules that keep us all in check, mm-hmm. you know. It's not mm-hmm. like a, a code of conduct that is written that everybody gets or whatever, but based on the integrity of the work, there is a code of conduct which um Ebungomeni would be called umtetoe shoma, right? So umtetoe shoma okay. has very specific things like you don't use human parts, for instance, for healing work. Umtetoe shoma, yes. anyone who's an healer knows, and anyone who goes outside of that breaks umtetoe shoma, right? Umtetoe shoma mm. says we harm and we don't heal, right? Umtetoe shoma says you acknowledge and you respect your elders you know Mm. even in the realm of a community gives us rules and guidelines to say you can't be going around talking about people like you're not a healer you know you mustn't lie you know so and those are like just universal kind of things you know but it's up to Impande to uphold that and to, yes. to to let their initiates and their graduates know that even though there isn't like a code of conduct but this is what is expected of you this is what it means to walk in integrity and in the truth of this gift you know so yes absolutely i don't know how we can um mm-hmm. say you know that this person is legit or not unfortunately I think what would be required more than anything is intuit, in, like an intuitive kind of guide and approach, you know, because mm. Mm. everybody who's initiated as a healer is a good person, so people can have spiritual possession. Yeah, how would we? I mean, how would we begin to hold those accountable that have broken the rules? Are there structures that exist? Not that I know of. You know, and I, I would hope that okay. their own ancestors would hold them accountable. I believe in Amazos and more than I believe in people. You know, I'm like when someone okay. has dishonored their own ancestor by acting outside of what they know to be umteto, then I trust that ancestor to yes. do what needs to be done. You know, we can't yes. do anything then, you know. But I wanted yeah. to say that there were there are people who initiated, so who have had a genuine calling, but they themselves are not good people you know, so they can't walk mm. in the path of being a healer because they themselves as a vessel are just not conducive to the actual gift, right? And then there are people who initiated and didn't need to initiate and now are just scamming, you know, it's like, oh yeah, where were you even going? You know, that was never your portion anyway, you know, and then they're yeah, they're, I mean, it's like in any profession, you know? It's like there are good doctors and there are bad doctors and we can all be qualified, yeah. you know, to be doctors. But at the end of the day, it's also about our integrity as people, you know? Our integrity, You yeah. know, so teachers, yeah. I, everybody's got that thing where it's like, 
we've all, yeah. all qualify in terms of we've gone through the process of acquiring whatever information and knowledge and skills mm. and qualifications that say that you are qualified to be this thing. Yeah. But whether or not you're a good healer is another kind of thing that obviously is not taught, you know, yeah. can be taught. I just want to, I want to get a little bit into where your practice um, meets your trauma work and how you've started to ground trauma work within your practice. Yeah. Um, I know we've spoken a bit before this and um, you said that it was something that you were very consciously starting to do very recently, mm-hmm. making your work more trauma-informed. Yeah. Um, I think, and I think that's a very important concept, especially now. More, I mean, we've lived almost for two years in this pandemic, and we need to start to find ways to heal and grieve. And um, I think it's really important to start to use the wisdom of um, our, our traditional frameworks yeah. to start to uncover what that healing and what you know, that grieving can look like. So if you could just get a bit into how you feel that um, your practice and the work of others yeah. can contribute yeah. to this kind of collective healing and this collective grieving. Yeah. So, yeah, like you're saying, um, I've been thinking about trauma for probably like the last year in my practice um, mm-hmm. and considering all of the ways. And I think I always understood and saw it but i i didn't always recognize that thing as trauma you know and only over the past mm. couple of years i've been like actually the trauma that thing you know um mm. so in the beginning it was very clear to me that capitalism was at the root of most of the problems that i encounter in Lumbe, right so whether somebody is coming because they see their life is going wrong and maybe they want to find out what's happening and they haven't been working and they've been unemployed for so many years or whether someone dares to come to me to ask for Umuti to keep their husband, for instance, you know, like all of that. (laughs) But I mean, people have come and tried, you know, people just see you as a sangam and they're like, you know, and I was even thinking about it earlier. It's like, it's so funny what it, how people engage with Ubunyanga and healing work mm. in terms of what it can give them, right? And usually that thing can be um, brought down or brought back to like something of material value. So even when you think about a woman, yes. it's because that man represents security, right? She might not even like that guy, but because he can you know, provide her with money or whatever it is that, you know, men give women because, you know, even if it's that, then, you know, all of that, I can say, and like, that's capitalism, you know, um, yeah. even when Abantu Bataga to other people, it's because they think those people have what they want. And usually it's silly things like a job, a car, education, things that are, are tied to financial value and are tied to capitalism, you know? So that was my, like, that was very clear for me, even in my early days when I started practicing, that capitalism is so intrinsic to the ill health of black mm. people and it is manifesting 
spiritually and i even think capitalism itself is its own just like spirit on its own you know that we all need to marry mm-hmm. of and divest from and just re- really see it for what it is you know because it infiltrates everything i think yes i think especially because capitalism and colonialism are so closely yep. tied yep i feel like they're one in the same thing or if not very very closely related i don't see them being separate mm-hmm. especially in the issue of why we were colonized and how we were colonized um and the ways in which it showed up uh i think that it's very very important work to do to start to dismantle and start to envision a, a world outside of capitalism mm-hmm. and um and I, I also feel in my heart that it's there's a the, the demonization of the way of our practices and our our herbal practices and um even our spiritual practices all tied into this like monster of alienation of ourselves um and even the way that we now use like you said how we use our um indigenous you know spiritual um practices yep. it's always rooted in this really dark thing and it's because like i feel like we have this idea of that's what it is it's that's what it's only there for so it can only be used that way but even now like we've gone from a place where indigenous knowledge and all of that was demonized to now capitalism hopping onto that same thing you know now mm. people are like okay everybody let's sage okay here's some beads okay here's some multi stores okay you know even these cloths you know like we don't make them there is a whole another industry and people out there who benefit from these things you know yes capitalism yes. will always clock the opportunity and they'll always know where to get in and we need to be smart enough mm. to realize when we're being used as tools right and the other thing that mm. i wanted to say that if you think about it capitalism is in direct opposition to ubuntu when you think about the principle of ubuntu and what it's about capitalism yes. is in direct yes. opposition like in the most extreme way and if ubuntu is an inner essence to us as people then that means that the system mm. is promoting something very like you know real and deep you know in us you know it's basically eroding us as a bantu because ubuntu is literally the mm. principle on which we all move and understand ourselves and each other in the world you know um exactly so it's just like yeah so that's how i i got into or had started to have an understanding you know of trauma mm. and then when you when you are thinking about capitalism in those kinds of ways it's not hard to see where the trauma is you know you not it's not hard Absolutely. to see um the collective trauma the ancestral trauma um childhood mm. trauma even you know as a result mm. of living in a capitalist system like literally your parents can't be good to you because they're working nine to five all the time you know like there's just so many ways that you can see how it's not conducive to us and how we have to be intentional about i guess being in opposition to it or or, or doing the mm. opposite of capitalism which is more around community and more about integrating with others as opposed to being the only and being at the top and you know being number one whatever that means um, mm. so yeah that's 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 where we started with the trauma work um and as i've just been doing my own personal work you know i can then recognize those things in some of my clients to be like hey you know 
was reading mm. about the mother wound or whatnot, and they, yes, this relationship is toxic, but actually maybe there's another side of this pain that isn't necessarily spiritual, you know, that is more psychological, you know, and I would like to believe that being able to make that distinction is what makes me a good healer. You know, to be able to say, you know, mm. you come to me with a particular thing and there's a way that all of these things feed into each other, but this is actually a psychological problem or this is actually mm. a physical problem, you know, and not like a spiritual yes, attack yes. or whatever and all of that. Yes. Um, and so we've just been slowly doing that work, um, learning and growing as we go. You know, I'm not... Uh, I think an expert at all in terms of like trauma or anything like that. And I'm still trying to figure out like what that means and what um, healing that means, you know, Um, I know how to heal people's spiritual aches. I know how to heal people's. um... So the next question I'd like to ask is how ancestral knowledge and generational trauma intersect. Yo, I mean, you know, some of these things I understand, but I'm not always sure I have the language, you know, um, to articulate it. But when I think about generational trauma in the realm of African spirituality and where our spirituality is concerned, then for me, there is a very clear intersection there, which is around also the lack of indigenous knowledge, right? that brings us to this place of of inherited generational trauma. Um, mm. there, like, there's so much about, and this is what I found in my practice as well, people cannot consider their bloodlines and their history and therefore themselves outside of themselves. I don't know if that makes sense. It's like you mm. can't, that and, and that's the thing that also removes you from purpose. That's the thing that removes you from your knowing of your role in your family, you know, those are the things that, so the lack of indigenous knowledge, the the lack of ancestral wisdom as probably before colonialism, capitalism, the great migrations, you know, of urban city living, before that, all those practices that allowed for people to have an understanding of themselves, you know, in the context of their family, in their context of their community, in their context of the world, because those things are no longer being done, then we find these generational traumas reenacting themselves, right? But then when we talk about mm-hmm. generational trauma, because people want to talk about like um, generational curses and generational trauma, but there is also then generational gifts, right? So it's like those two things mm-hmm. are a balance you know on the one hand there are really terrible things that have taken place in our bloodlines that Mm. continue that pain continues Mm. to find itself in the descendants of the people who experience those terrible things but then Mm. there is also Mm. beautiful gifts and um just ways of living you know that have also and still need to be passed down and that do find themselves actually in in the lives of the descendants, you know, sometimes, I mean, maybe like, yes, you, for instance, yes. you know, you're here interviewing mm. people concerning yourself with this kind of work. And maybe there were other people who had similar iterations of what you are doing now in their lifetime. You know, maybe they were community leaders or maybe they That's were so healers, yeah. maybe they were nurses or maybe they were, you yeah. know what I mean? So 
in trying to heal the generational trauma, it is important to integrate and to go back and to consider what are the practices, right, that were done mm. in terms of passing knowledge. And I think a lot of yes. it has to do with, like, when I talk about generational trauma as well, it's like mm. there isn't a moment to just pause and to take in the many ways in which we are growing and changing and the world is doing that as well you know and i think that's what those practices did they just gave you a moment to say you're moving from being a young girl into a woman or you're moving from whatever into marriage or you're moving from you know they just took that moment and with the influence and with the wisdom of people who've walked that path you know, so now you are being held and ushered as you transition into the different parts of your life, but also as the world around you starts to, mm. you know, and starts to change. And I don't know, like generational trauma is something that obviously can be resolved through therapy and all of that, but so much of it has to do with participating, you know, so much of it has to do with practice. That is how our ancestors get relieved. This is why people need to initiate, right? Um, and this is why memory is political. You know what I mean? Um, and yes. when you say yeah. that, it's also like, it's important to remember people's names, like literally, you know, to remember that there was a mum before you and that there was a mkumus banban after mm. your father or whatever the case is, to mm. constantly be and I don't know, I mean, it gives me a lot of, um, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I belong, you know, when I realize that literally there are so many yeah. people who've done the work, you know, there's so much pain beyond my own pain, you know, at the brunch this weekend, uh, mm. talking about that as well, like, it's all good and fine to be like, hey, mm. but we don't talk about that, about the generational traumas that I inherited when you take on this work. You know, that you're not only working with your yes, yes. in the world, but with the pain of the experiences of your ancestors. And sometimes the joy Absolutely. of just being a young black person who has an education, who has a job, is how some of those pains are resolved, right? Because our our ancestors were excluded, they were chastised, they were, um, you know, isolated, there were all of these things. And in many ways, mm. so when like my ancestors' wildest dreams, like, yeah, because they could have never imagined a world, no, you know, yeah. like we are here and talking. And so, this is also part of healing these generational traumas, speaking on things, mm-hmm. enacting things. I think, especially where you're talking about, like, like how people can't imagine themselves outside of themselves. Mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. I think it was really important because I can imagine. Um, way back when someone's sitting and having the ability to n- not imagine just their lives and their families' lives, but their collective communities' lives, um, mm-hmm. you know, their experiences. And, you know, I think that's why it's so hard for us to even imagine, like, what even is collective care? Yeah. What is collective community? What and is it to care for one another? Because when I was saying that Exactly. is in opposition to Ubuntu. Our practice has always been collective care. Our yeah. practices have always been communal. Exactly. You know, it comes so thing. naturally to us. Yes. Even now, today, men want to talk nonsense about polygamy, but it's also around that. Because actually, it takes more than one woman. Ubakumuzi. 
you know it takes more than one woman to nurture and care for these children even their own mother is tired at times you know and so there would be a mamna to help her or whatever you know now people want to make it like a centering man but it's not it's around community you know everything that we do even in sevens year two there is no sevens that you can do jay me too you know it's always open to the community it always requires the energy and intention and participation and witnessing of other people so that this thing actually works so that is actually blessed and its intentions are seen through all of those things we were talking yesterday about ilobola and i I had to say to people like ilobola is not about the people that are getting married it's about the two families that are coming together Mm. so amasigowe to have always been community-based collective-centered you know they've always had that idea that's why you know like the what's the saying the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts you know it's like for us mm-hmm. to be good and to be cohesive and to be healthy also we require each other you know and that's the work yeah. of our ancestors and that's our lives and that's what capitalism has taken away from us you know that's what these practices that we're seeing now has taken away from us that that ability to gather and to be in community, not just with people in our bloodline, but with other people in the world as well, you know? Like, how do you reconcile yourself with nature as a person in the world? How you reconcile yourself with the rivers, with, you know, all of these things that we can see are, are deteriorating, you know, because of our inability to recognize how we are connected to them or how they are connected to us. Because capitalism also says mm. that you are the person, you know, are the most intelligent thing on this planet and yet you know the the ocean is older than us <laughs> you know it's just like there is has an insistent on individuality that capitalism has drilled into people's heads that has taken them literally away from states of wellness you know because how do you heal on your own yeah and i think i think that there is space for individuality but but it cannot you cannot live alone. We were never made to be to, to live in isolate. Well, let me say to yeah, to live as individual individualistically as we are currently living. Mm-hmm. I think there is space and time and it's necessary for us to censor the individual. Mm-hmm. I think especially in the work that we need to do now in healing and unlearning. But with that being said, there is Definitely, there needs to be an emphasis on collective healing. And I'm um, sure. Coming together and realizing, like, what the collective consciousness is doing because we're so disconnected. There is still a collective consciousness, even if we're not um, consciously thinking about it. I think, like, mm-hmm. you see it a lot on social media. I don't mm-hmm. think people understand that that is a collective consciousness. Or if they do, let me not insult people's intelligence. If they do realize that this is a collective consciousness, they don't really know how to catalyze it yeah. um, into something that could enact real change. Um, I think that's where a lot of, I think specifically healers, experience the burnout, experience the depression, because you see the tools in front of you, yeah. but you don't know how to put it together and to make it something tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Another thing that I think is like really important is that I agree with you that 
our practices like polygamy had a had a place and definitely um it takes a village you know it's a common saying i think it's just the way that it's currently being practiced um is a bit concerning for me and i think like we also need to um reevaluate the ways in which we currently practice our um you know african spiritualism and even our um traditions what what is harmful what is necessary what needs to be adjusted what needs to become trauma-informed like is our our are our traditions trauma-informed or were they formed from trauma over generations i mean i want to say to the first thing to answer this question is that traditions and culture are based as a matter of practicality right Something becomes a norm because that is what was required, right? So it's not like there mm. was an agenda or serving more person. It's like, what is the most practical way to move forward with what needs to happen, right? And then those mm. become traditions because they've been done for years and years and years and years. What I, and when you, and then when you talk about like, having to look at some of these things and be like, are these trauma-informed? Um, maybe at this point they're self-serving certain people or whatever the case is. We would also probably find, Uzi, the Latin erosion or the, the, you know, the, the lessening in quality. I can't find my English. But things have gotten worse in our traditions mm. or in the ways that our traditions are being carried out. We can probably connect that to again urban life urban city living you know so when we talk about ilobola for instance it wasn't imagined mm. that is something that literally is probably like what a hundred years old the practice is older than that but the inclusion of money is a very recent thing which also has you know its attachments mm. to working life city life so even manjima you know, people are getting suits and all those things. That's not what the practice was before. So we need we need to look at those intersections. We need to look at those things where where the practices got corrupt. You know, and I think the trauma, you know, then, and I'm not saying that there wasn't trauma in the past. I'm saying it probably wasn't the same. You know, as because the no. trauma, me, my colonial trauma <laughs> is incomparable to anything. You know what I mean? Because even thing, it yeah. was like some white guy who said there had to be eleven cows, you know, and now that's like a thing who's okay, there must be eleven cows, you know. But before it was like whatever you could offer, whatever you could do, you know. And I'm sure we it might be looked as a taboo now, but I'm sure you know, or or whatever, you know. Just to say, see, here is how we build Ukhlelan. You know, this is what we have to offer as we take Imbali out of your home and bring it into ours, you know. So where the corruption happens, we need to look if and when that coincides with capitalism, with urban city living, with all of these other advancements that are very recent, you know. And then I think mm. there, there will be an opportunity to say then, how do these cultures evolve? You know, because like I'm saying, culture is a matter of continuity. You know, Amakosa, they used to slaughter a sheep. That thing, they used to slaughter goats, but then the missionaries came there and they said, no more goats, 
and sheeps and now that's the thing. But Kosa people will make a big noise and be like, Oh Gina, I'm like, but that's colonial trauma, that's colonial influence, you know? And now it's 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 considered to be a part of your culture, which also says to us the culture you know? Because before the colonial influence, what was the the point of the practice? Why was this thing done? And we could find Ugutivele as the world changes. Some of those traditions Vele aren't necessary, you know. But I can't imagine mm. which those would be because so many of them are, are around honoring yourself, around honoring your family, are around building relationships with other people, building relationships with nature, with the world, you know. As a people we observe nature so much in our traditions in terms of like things must be done at sunrise at sunset you know at a pl- at places of yes. you know th- you know so uh-huh, i i can agree that um there is space for improvement and of course religion i mean um mm. culture and tradition must evolve with the times but i i i have a mm. big suspicion that whatever corruption we are seeing in our cultures is directly linked to colonial and capitalistic kind of like agendas, you know, or influence. Absolutely. I think that leads into my final question. Um, you know, how can we start to care for one another in this new world? How can we start to go back to the earth? Mm. Um, and how have you started um, changing your healing practices to adjust to a COVID world? Yeah. I mean, I think on one hand, my answer is always to participate. You know, I think so many of us don't. Like, we don't participate. Go to that funeral in your street. Go to that family gathering. And now it's made to seem like a quirk, you know, being the person that that, that gets them giddy and doesn't do anything. You know, that's that's how we take care of people. That's how we see and elevate what is often unseen labor, you know, being done by people that I guess maybe other people don't consider to be influential or worthwhile or whatever, but everyone is doing their job, you know, everyone is fulfilling their role. Um, and it's important for us to participate, you know, especially as young people, you know, there's this whole rich Makoti thing on, on, on TikTok and I'm like, it's funny, but it's not. <laughs> You know, it's funny, but it's not. Because should anything happen... I think it's a double-edged sword because... It's a double-edged sword, that one, because there is definitely abuse that takes place. <laughs> and exactly. Abuse that takes that, place. You know, so that thing of like, mm-hmm. I'm going to being abused and stuff, you know that this is not in the integrity of the practice. You know, we can say so clearly... It's not. Where it's like... Mm-hmm. You are taking someone else's child and umeza something else, you know, as opposed to bringing her into the family and, you know, getting her used to working and participating and all of those kinds of things. But the rich Makoti thing for me is like, and maybe this is the, the disadvantage of the time that we live in. Like we get equipped with this lot, with this knowledge, with this information, with this language, but we take for granted the ways in which our own languages have always spoken to those things, you know? So just because now we're speaking about like feminism, we want to forget that actually this is central to our practice as black people. And maybe we didn't call it feminism, but Mm -hmm. it's not a new thing, you know? So Mm -hmm. now you're in opposition to Mm -hmm. all the things that represent what you think 
well, is not the feminism that you have studied or the, the feminism that has been afforded to you by a particular kind of language, you know? Yeah, so I, my thing, and this has been like unlearning on my own end, you know, as someone who grew up, I guess, in what we would consider Model C or whatever, having to undo and unlearn and realize the ways that some of these things that I get so excited about because, you know, Bell Hooks or Audrey Lord or whoever is saying them have actually always been articulated by the elders in my family, you know? So ideas of feminism, ideas of um, equality, ideas of wellness and care. And this is what we will find, actually, when we look to, like, modern literature or whatever, you'll find that a lot of this is based on the experiences and the practices of indigenous people you know there is and also new, oral histories yes there is a new articulation of very old things you know so mm. those of us who still have the institution in terms of people you know have a responsibility to engage those resources engage those people and to participate you know i think that's actually the question that we were answering earlier on which is like how do we yes. bring all of this into practicality and it's to participate mm. you know especially young people mm. oh learn you know like we always talk about that thing of which people want to google how to make them combo to when you actually could ask your aunt or your mother or you know whatever we're a generation of people that like want information without actually having to participate and without actually having to engage actual people you know the information must always be in a book the information must always be written in English. The information must always be on the internet. Otherwise, it's not valuable or it's not considered knowledge and wisdom, you know? So participating and being a person in the world, you know, it's important, yes, to have your own individuality and know who you are, but it's also important to consider your place in the world, you know, and the relationships that are required for you to participate and engage in that place for wellness not just of yourself but for others and i think that's what we'll find out that when we take care of each other that's we are taken care of you know that's what my practice has taught me that when people are able to heal things in their families and in their bodies and in their lives there is something inside of me that is healed you know so our healing is dependent on each other you know and that requires yeah, I think what you said about um, this, the, 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 the feminist um, perspectives and I think in general just your academic and social movements are just iterations of very old things. I think that's very, very important and I think that's actually a large part of our healing, the remembrance. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us, through the work, like you said, through the whole thing, have started to heal and start to remember. I mean, this thing is in our bones, it's in our blood, um, it's in our trauma. Mm-hmm. Trauma is a very, very wise thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it needs to be um, released yeah. and understood. Mm-hmm. And then we can learn so much from it. Mm-hmm. There's so much memory in trauma. There is, there's so much that needs to be unlocked within us. And the, the more we heal, the more we remember, the more that we'll realize how deeply connected we are to one another, how deeply connected we are to the earth, and how um, our genius is has been ever-present, I think, and our capacity for joy, and um, our capacity to 
take care of one another has always been present. And what I've like been accepting about trauma and like then trying to think about what healing really means, right, is that trauma takes away something that was there, right? So there was something and then trauma happened and it altered that thing. And so then that means that healing is about restoring, right? That healing is about putting back what trauma has taken away, you know? And if maybe that's a perspective that we can have, then it's not hard to remember and it's not hard to see what needs to be restored, you know? We're not putting something yeah. new. Something was there and then it was taken away by the trauma. It was altered by the trauma mm. and what healing is. And that's why mm. when you talk about generational trauma, it's like there is something that still needs to be resolved. You know, this thing hasn't been resolved, mm. you know. And what we don't resolve here, we will have to resolve in the, in, you know, in the, in the other realm of spirit or wherever, or whatever that place is called. Um, but also we know that it, it, it presents itself in our DNA. You know, it's like it's genetic in that kind of way that literally your descendants mm. will carry it mm. the trauma that is resolved and that is restored, you know. So it is a lot about going back and it is a lot about remembering and trying to locate what the wholeness looked like before trauma happened, you know. Yes, what is, yes, what yes. What yes. like before the trauma and then we're able to restore you know, and, and like I'm saying, I've been thinking a lot about like, what trauma means to us. And one day it was like, actually, trauma gives us the opportunity to heal. That is what it does. And I don't know that there is a person in the world who is exempt from trauma and therefore exempt from the work of healing. You know, so all of us have been called to restore what was, but was broken or taken away by trauma. All of us. I get that can say, I've never engaged mm -hmm. in trauma on some level. You know, whether it's ancestral, it's childhood, it's collective, or whatever, we're all being caused to heal. There's not a single person that is exempt from that work. It's, yeah. I just makes my heart so happy. That's so profound. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for sharing your time and sharing your space and coming on this journey with me and everyone else um i am i just feel so deeply honored i'm deeply deeply honored and um, i'm grateful such a beautiful considered intentional and necessary project and yeah i'm excited to hear you know what everybody else has to say i'm excited to see the the work you know as it comes together because yeah, you know, and, and you've done a really good job of, I guess, considering, you know, what this work really means. And so for me, there's also been opportunities to learn and to ask questions that maybe I hadn't been asking myself. So thank you for the invite. And yeah, I hope everything goes well with everybody else that you'll be speaking to and as you're journeying and doing your own work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay, well, enjoy the rest of your day. Have a good bye-bye.